But I'm going to start by asking you a question, and uh, I'm looking for a response, and I'm looking for a response in unison, and I'm wondering if we can land on the same answer together. Uh, I'm not asking you to give the true answer for yourself. <laughs> I'm just asking you to tell me what you think the typical response is to this question, right? So if I ask you, how are you? The answer is? Fine. fine. That's right. That, you nailed it. Well done. Did anyone say anything other than fine? Thanks. You? Fine, <laughs> fine, thanks. So polite, Audrey. <laughs> That's right. Fine. Or uh, let's try the, the Aberdeen version. Ready? Fit like? Nebad. Nebad. Maloon. You could add that. Nebad. Well done. Uh, I wonder how many interactions like that you've had this morning. And even just as you come in and sit down, how are you? Yeah, yeah, fine. Or not too bad. Or doing okay. Uh, I wonder. I've been thinking a, a lot about that question recently for a few reasons. Here's, here's a few reasons why I've been thinking about that question. First is, I asked someone that question this week, and they actually answered me with the truth. And I was taken aback by that in that moment. Now, I actually genuinely so appreciated that, because I, I was asking the question genuinely, but if I'm honest, I wasn't expecting really a, a truthful, in-depth answer. I wasn't expecting the conversation that followed. Someone was really struggling. And as soon as I asked that question, tears came in her eyes again. And uh, it gave us a chance to talk through some struggles and to just very quickly pray uh, for, together. And I was so thankful for the honesty and the response, but I also felt slightly chastened because I wasn't necessarily expecting a true answer to that question. I've been thinking about that. And I've been thinking about that for our church as well. I hope, by the way, that we can be the sort of church we're here on a Sunday or through the week, however that happens, we would ask one another genuinely and that we would truthfully respond to that question, how are you? And that it's okay to say when we're not fine. And um, we, we can share that with one another and help one another through that. A few other reasons why I've been thinking about this question. In the last few weeks, I've met some very, very close friends of mine, uh, both of whom I hadn't seen for at least a year. So they were asking me, how are you? How is your family? And, and, and then in that moment, of course, you're tracking back over at least a year, and you've got to think through what is significant to share here, what can I leave out, and you have to really reflect, actually, how am I? You know, and it, it gives you a moment to, to ponder where I'm at in, in, in this moment in my life. Um, and then another, another few reasons I've been thinking about this question is to do with us as a church family. How are we together? So um, a few months ago, we had our, had our elders retreat, and there was so much to think about about that question. How are we in our elders retreat? Dominic helped facilitate some of that, and we still, as elders, are needing to reflect on, on, on how the Lord guided that conversation, because there was lots of things that came up as to how are we getting on. Um, another reason is a few weeks ago in Equip, Equip is our leadership development group, we were considering the issue of the vision, vision in the life of our church. And we were pondering how do we conceive of the question of where is God calling us to? And of course, there's a reflection that comes as part of that. How are we doing now and where is God leading us forward? 
Another reason I've been thinking about this from the point of view of the church family is I have an app on my phone called TimeHop. I don't know if any, anyone have TimeHop where it shows what you posted to social media on this day, a year ago, two years ago, and so on. Um, and sometimes I see posts that I wrote either on Facebook or tweets that I wrote about life in this church. For example, from like four years ago, about a moment that happened on a Sunday morning. And every so often, one of those updates comes. I wrote about something that was happening in Hillview maybe five years ago, and it leads me to think, huh, where are we now compared with what I wrote then? And I asked that question, how are we getting on? And then finally, of course, just in this moment that we're in as a church, we're praying about this third pastoral appointment, the visit of Harley and Liz last week. It's another moment of reflection. Of course, you know, you'd imagine with Harley and the elders here on Wednesday night, and myself and Harley one-to-one, we were just chatting lots about them and their situation, but they were also asking lots of questions about us as a church. So we reflected on how are we doing? Where are we at as a church family? That's a good question to ask sometimes about life in, in the church. It's so easy to sort of just coast along week to week, and one of the brilliant things, I'm just looking at Dan here, one of the brilliant things about the membership moments when, when people choose to join in the church as members is that we ask them questions about, you know, how are you as part of the church family? What are you seeing that's encouraging you? What are you maybe not concerned about or maybe concerned about or struggling with? And, and some brilliant answers come up. And Dan had some brilliant reflections on, on a few things that we were able to have a brilliant chat about. But th- those are important moments because in general, when we're part of a church family, it's just maybe easy sometimes, just week to week, to sort of carry on. It's good to reflect, where are we together? And what role am I playing as part of that? And and I suspect for every single one of us, when we ask that question, how are we as a church family? I suspect there's probably some things that you could look to. I hope there's at least some things that you could look to where you'd feel encouraged And then I guess for all of us as well, there'd be some areas where we look to and we would struggle with maybe some aspects of life in the church just now. And then then the hope is, of course, that that would inform our our prayers and discussions and and, and that, that we as the whole church and as individuals who make up the whole church would then seek, okay, God, where are we at? And, And what does that mean for us as we walk forward? How are we? As I reflected on today's passage, I couldn't get away from that question. To be honest, I think that's a question that we should, that should come and rise up as we read the scriptures. I think even the fact that we have, for example, letters like what we have here in 1 Thessalonians written to churches or groups of churches underlines the, the importance and the validity of that question. Paul didn't just plant churches and then walk away and leave them to get on with it. He, he, he planted churches and then he wrote to them. He had a heart for them. He checked in with them. He corrected them. He encouraged them. He picked up on what was going on and guided by the Spirit, he pointed them back onto a more faithful path. Uh, for, for God as they sought to honor him in the context in which they were. But it can be, cha- I don't know about you, but for me, it can be challenging when we read some of the letters in the New Testament because they hit us right between where we are and where we ought to be. And we read some passages of Scripture and we're like, oh man alive, this is challenging stuff. 
Paul doesn't mess about in terms of what he calls the different churches to. And this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is no different. So we're going to read this passage together just now. And Paul's going to touch on so many different issues. There's four different sections in this, uh, in this, in this passage. So the first section, verses 12 to 13, he speaks about respecting and honoring the leaders in the church. Verses 14 to 15, he talks about helping one another on in life and faith. From verses 16 to 22, he calls them together. These are plural verbs that you read in verses 16 onwards. He calls them to seek God together, to root their their life together in who God is. And he calls them to do that in some remarkable ways. And then in the last few verses, he closes the letter reminding them that it is only by God's grace and help that we can see some of these things come to pass. So let's read the passage now. It's going to come up on the screen uh, on my laptop, and we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully see some of these sections as we go. This is God's word to us. This is trustworthy and true. It's the only bit of this message that you can 100% rely on, what we're about to read just now. So God says to us, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you And are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So, we ask these questions. How are you? How are we? And it can be challenging if, um, if we, to put it crudely, were to score ourselves against a passage like this. And yet I hope that for all of us today, as we reflect on where we are as a church family, that by the power of God's Spirit, as we rest in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the love of our Father in heaven, I pray that we're stirred to want more together, to step forward together, to honor Jesus more together, to seek his kingdom more together. We live in that place today and indeed every single day of our lives of where we are and where we need to be and hopefully where we want to be in Christ. This is, dear friends, this is the Christian life. 
Our destination is certain, but we know that we're not there yet. We're walking forward together with God. We're being led by God's presence and God's power. And we're continually in that place of movement and needing to trust God for every step of the journey. Yes, we can be real and honest about the struggles and sometimes disappointments, but we don't give up. And as we are on that journey, I think this passage points us this morning to three paradoxes of the Christian life, which I think we're called to live in and which define our journey forward. And here here they are. We, as God's representatives here in this place at this time in Hillview Community Church, are to be about pursuing the miracle of the radical normality of the beauty of church fellowship. And we're going to consider these one at a time in reverse order. First thing is this, the beauty of church fellowship. First of all, I have to, I have to define my terms. Harley was speaking on Wednesday night about, this, uh, about the idea of Christianese, words that we just become used to if you're part of the church. But, but if you're not part of the church, then fellowship isn't a particularly word that you, you use very often, you know, unless you're a Christian or like a Tolkien fan, then you are maybe like an impressive scholar or doctor or something, then you're not using the word fellowship very often. But this, friends, this is a word to hold on to. Fellowship speaks of sharing with and sharing in. It speaks of deep connectedness. And that is for Christians, there is, a, there is a vertical element, to put it like that, if you'll, if you'll let me put it like that, that we have fellowship with God. We are joined to God. We are bound up in who God is. He's with us. He's in us. He's through us. We are His. We are under the shadow of His wings. There's a vertical element to that sharing that we experience, and there is also a horizontal element to that. As we as children of God individually share in fellowship, closeness, relationship, partnership with God as part of His family, in that then we are deeply connected together as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Scriptures just fumble around. The scriptures don't fumble, sorry. The scriptures try and find multiple different ways of expressing that reality, even referring to us as members of one another. Not just members together in something, but members of one another. That's the extent to which we share in each other's lives. And of course, that's, that's the true reality. And then our job is to to experience that together and to step into that together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and this wonder of fellowship, sharing in God and sharing in one another, we see both of those in this passage. We should not lose this word fellowship. We should not relegate it to some sort of hall where we meet or a synonym for a chit-chat over coffee. This is a deep and profound and wonderful reality. And there is something so beautiful about what we share together in Jesus' church. So listen to some of the verbs that are used in how Paul calls the Thessalonians to live together in this passage. He says, to respect, esteem very highly, be at peace, admonish or warn. Again, you have to have a closeness of relationship to do that well, to encourage Help, be patient, do good, 
Rejoice, pray, give thanks, hold on to what is good, abstain from evil, greet one another with a holy, this passage says kiss, but we can contextualize and say that probably wouldn't be appropriate today. So some passages have said, greet one another with a holy embrace. Again, what is that a picture of? We're together. We're together. This is what the Thessalonians, this is what we are called to. Really, this is who we are together. And, and, and that all happens in the context of what God brings about. God does this. It's a miracle. The fellowship that we share is a miracle. You know, I mean, you know if we were to look around, we would see people so different from us. We know personality-wise we're so different. What on earth would join this group of people together apart from God and the work of His Spirit? This is something God does. That's why in verse 23, Paul praise for them, that they would know this reality. And it's why he ends this passage, this letter indeed, with a prayer of blessing that God's grace, God's grace, that favor from God that we don't deserve would be with them. So there is a deep beauty to that which God brings about among us, that which we embrace and share in together as God's people living like this together. It's what Paul is pointing them to in these verses. So, so where, Martin, is the paradox here? You said that these are three paradoxical things. Well, it's not really paradoxical until we compare it to our experience. I looked up paradox in the dictionary because I was worried that I was getting myself in a muddle. And here's what it says. A seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which when investigated, that's what we're doing today, may prove to be well-founded or true. So we are investigating what this beauty of church fellowship is in 1 Thessalonians 5. And indeed, we investigate about this. We read this about you know, what this is over the whole of the New Testament. And you can't help but find that it is indeed a well-founded and true reality that church fellowship is beautiful. The way that God describes who we are in him together is unbelievably lovely here and across all the Bible. The connection that we have to God and how that finds expression in the body of Christ is so, so precious. And and sometimes we taste that reality together. We know what it is to feel part of the family of God and to feel loved by God in that. And then there are other times where this list certainly does seem absurd to use that dictionary definition. Sadly, tragically, this is so often not how we live together. And and some of you have tasted that. Some of you have known that reality this last week. Or in years gone by, in this church or in others, you just are perplexed at the way people talk to one another, the way they live together. You see behavior behind the scenes that is very at odds with this list that Paul lifts up here. Or even, let's be honest, you experience or hear of Horrible spiritual, physical, other types of abuse, manipulation that goes on in the church. And as you reflect on that, this phrase, the beauty of church 
fellowship seems a distant reality. How are we with this? This is the miracle that we are to pursue. And it is, secondly, it's radically normal. This is not Paul writing to some bunch of top-tier expert Christians, as if there were such a thing, by the way, there ain't such a thing. We're all children before our Father. But this is not Paul writing to like an impressive bunch of Christian leaders or fellow apostles or anything like this. Do you remember the, introduc- the couple of introductory sermons we did in this book? Well, he's writing to an extremely recently established church a newly planted church established over maybe five crazy weeks that Paul and his uh, colleagues had in Thessalonica. And he's writing this letter to them just a few months later after the establishment of this church. And this is what he asks of them. Again, just the same list as before. Look at what he asks of them. And he doesn't qualify any of this. He doesn't caveat any of this. He doesn't gently, gently warn them, I'm about to drop some hard stuff on you. Don't worry, we're going to do a discipleship program to explain what this all means. He just writes to them and drops that this is what Christian life is. He doesn't apologize for the nature of the big ask he's making. He's just telling a young church, this is how you live in Jesus' church, in the family of God. Family throws, flows right through this passage, by the way. Five times Paul underlines that he's writing to just some young brothers and sisters in the faith. This is normal Christian life, friends. That's, that's the tone of 1 Thessalonians 5. Nothing unusual, nothing, nothing particularly for, for a subset of Christians. He's just writing to the church, and this is normal Christian life. Yet, let's be honest, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. Paul is plainly calling them to this, but this is radical. Living like this together. As if that list of commands wasn't challenging enough, listen to how Paul underlines the all-encompassing nature of these. I'm just going to read part of the passage again and just, just listen to the tone of how Paul writes this. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourself. And we urge you, Brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Get this verse. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice. How often? Always. Pray. How often? Without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of of our Lord Jesus. This, friends, is the radically normal Christian life. It's more important than what we do as a church. 
It's more important than what ministries we run. It's more important than what songs we choose week by week. It's more important than the, dream, than the dreams that we have for what outreach programs we might run. It's more important than the question of how gifted those are who lead from the front in various ways. It's more important than what we do with the building. This is the Christian life. It's about how we talk to one another how we think of one another, how we pray for one another. It's about our posture towards those who God has called into leadership roles of varying nature in the church. It's about our disposition towards others, not just what we think about them, but how we cause them to experience themselves. It's about our heart for prayer. It's about our relentless desire to do good to one another. This is the radically normal life that we are to know in the church of Jesus Christ. And we're also called, just briefly, to radically normal living and how Paul speaks of life in the Spirit. Those few verses there, 19 to 22, don't quench the Spirit. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't trample on the work of the Spirit. How easily we can do that. Stifle, quench the Spirit of God. We can do it with poor behavior towards one another, or we can do it with an over-reliance on human logic. We need to hear God's voice. That's, That's what it's saying. Don't despise prophecies. God speaks to us in his word, and he speaks to us through prophetic gift that he's given certain people in the church. We need to hear what God is saying to us, and we need to test everything against the scriptures, and we need to hold fast, hold tight to that which is true and good and right. At the recent, uh, I was down in St. Andrews, as you know, at the recent Scottish Baptist Minister's Fellowship, and uh, the speaker there asked a very provocative question. He said, what would it look like in your church, in your Sunday gatherings, in your ministries, in your church meetings, in your interactions together, if God's Spirit removed Himself from your church? And he asked, what would be different? He was asking, how much of what you currently do and operate in together could continue on just fine? If God removed his spirit. We need the spirit of God. We need to hold fast to the good that he has for us. This is radically normal church family life. And the challenge for us of this passage as we come to a close now is for us to pursue that miracle. This is the third and final paradox of the Christian life in this passage We have to pursue this. (laughs) Sometimes we just need to obey the words on the page. Sometimes, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, we, we can become so crushed by the commands of Scripture and so aware of our fragility under those that the only way we interpret them is a gateway to get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we absolutely, as we're going to see, do need to always land there. That is, that is our only basis for hope together as, as brothers and sisters. But we also don't want to strip these passages of their impact. Paul, as I said before, Paul knows the gospel very, very well. But he doesn't hold back from these very stark commands. 
So sometimes we just need to read them for how they are, and we have to pursue this life together, the beauty of church fellowship that he lays before us. Paul's clear and hope, clear hope and expectation is that the church would do what God was asking them to do through the Holy Spirit. So as we've looked at this passage a few times now, what has God been impressing on your heart to pursue? Just glance over the passage before you. What phrase that you've heard or that you've read, what do you need to hold on to? What do you need to chase after? What do you need to ask for God's help to live out? We're called to be obedient. Our behavior does matter in the church of Jesus Christ. But really, what we're really after is not anything we can achieve in our own strength. We need a miracle. So Paul commands and Paul prays. Listen to this beautiful prayer in verse 23. Now, May the God of peace himself sanctify you. You know, that means um, make you holy, make you more like Jesus. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. After after reading that, there should rise up in us a very strong yes and amen. Let it be. May it be. Do it, God. And there should rise up in us a longing for that day. Do it soon, God. Do it soon. You know, God, the way that I stumble. You know that the way I fall short of of these commands. Do it, God. Make me more like Jesus. Make me a a blessing to the church family that I'm a part of so that they would see the beauty of fellowship with you and with one another. Do that in me, God. Do it soon, please. Change me. Change me by the power of your spirit. spirit. And it should indeed rise up in us an increasing sense of gratitude day by day. Thank you that you will do this, God. Thank you that you're not done with us. You're not going to give up on us. We don't deserve it. It's not earned in any way. Thank you that you're making me. Thank you that you're making us holy together. Dear friends, we can't do this on our own. The beauty of church fellowship, the radically normal culture of grace and peace through which that beautiful fellowship comes, the courage and the resolve to pursue what these verses are calling us to, we can't do it on our own. We need God's help to do it. We need a miracle. And then, and then we see there's a lovely cyclical nature to this because for me, rather humorously, Paul in verse 25, after praying this prayer, he just underlines the sort of paradoxical nature of this. He says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Can you relate to that? God, thank you that you're going to do this great work in me. Please pray for me. I need all the help I can get. That's the tone of this passage. And then, you know, God's going to do it but we definitely still need your prayers to step into that. And then before he closes the letter, he just brings it back again. Do you see there's this cycle? Brings it back again to the miracle that we need and the miracle that we have where he says the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's our hope. That is our hope. That's the miracle that we need. How are we? How am I? How are you? As you think about this challenge to pursue the miracle of the radical normality of the beauty of church fellowship. This passage, like pretty much every passage in the Bible, to be honest, it it meets us between where we are and where we might be together in God. Do you desire to step into this miracle, always seeking to only do good to one another and to everyone? Do you desire that? Do you desire to grow in patience? Do you desire to rejoice and to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in everything? Do you? I have a sense for what it's worth that Hillview Community Church is on the brink of our next new beginning. We can and we should have all sorts of dreams for how God might guide and move us forward. How we need to constantly be seeking him, constantly be led by him, constantly praying for him to do way more than anything we can ask or imagine. But let's start with this. Let's start with this, with seeking the spirit of God to move, with crying out to him with casting ourselves on him and just understanding we can't do anything without his appointed will, without his presence and his power. We can't do anything without being changed by him so that we would grow in love for one another. We would grow in fellowship, closeness with God and with one another, honoring and respecting each other and indeed, at the end of the day, trusting in God to work this miracle that we need. May he do a wonderful work among us. I mean, what a great God we have, right? Just reflect back over the last few years, decades, God's faithfulness. God's gonna lead us forward. If we humble ourselves and seek his face, he'll lead us on. May we together pursue the miracle of the radical normality of the beauty of fellowship with God and with one another. Let's pray. So the Holy Spirit, we just open our lives to you now. We wait on you. We ask you to rest in our hearts, rest in our midst. We ask you to minister to us as only you know how to do. You know what every one of us needs, so we just open our hearts to you in this moment. There's a line that we've sometimes used to capture who we are in this church where it says we're the family of God 
sharing the love of God. Individually, together, and indeed with this world for the glory of God. Holy Spirit, would you do that among us, I pray. Bind us together. Draw us together. Forgive us for the ways that we have um, thought or spoken ill of one another. Help us know this wondrous reality of the beauty of church fellowship. And I pray that we would share that with this world. And I pray that we would do that all for your glory. What a God you are. Thank you that you are faithful. You will surely do this work. You're not done with us. There's nothing that we can do that can snatch us from your hand for those of us who are in Christ. So draw us back again. Draw us together and send us on, I pray. In Jesus' name and in the power of the Spirit, I pray these things. Amen.